Sonic State. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sonic Talk number 144. Um, if uh, if you were the eagle-eyed amongst you may realise that I wasn't actually physically here last week. We had a bit of a break. I went on holiday, which was very, very nice. And um, uh, I, play, I posted an interview with Jordan Rudess, who was really, really kind with his time and very generous and gave me a whole hour of plus, and we had a really good chat, and I hope everybody enjoyed that. It's really nice bloke, really interesting, um, innovative... Um, kind of keyboardist so yeah he was telling me at great length about his um tour rig and all this stuff so yeah really good enjoyed that a lot hope you all did hello everybody in the chat room uh, nice to see you back um sorry i can't change the title in the chat room for some reason it's not giving me admin access but uh, hey what the heck let's just wing it eh so um for those of you who haven't been here before sonicstate.com forward slash live about 4 p.m on a wednesday uh, to join in the live chat uh, with everybody else and also listen to us record the show i've got two guests with me so far i think we're going to get a third uh, and I'll start by introducing the furthest away from me, who's Rich Hilton from sunny Connecticut. How are you doing, Rich? I'm feeling rather sunny today, thank you. I'm glad for you. Today it has been raining, 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 raining. Absolutely chucked it down. Well, you'd like it here then. Yes, I probably would. <laughs> That's unfortunately not where I am. But uh, So, Rich, nice to have you. Always nice, nice to have to you. Nice to be. Always nice to be. So, uh, and we've just been joined by, uh, well, the, the other voice you heard there was Mark Tinley, who's in sunny Cambridgeshire. How you doing? Hello. Is it sunny? I don't think it is, oh, actually. Isn't it? Oh, right. It was yeah, fantastic it's, yesterday. It yeah, was, it was so, it? so windy. We had this massive thunderstorm with lightning and everything. It was oh, really yeah. good. We had terrible rain. Yeah, I saw you had a Twitter that said the, uh, it blew over a ladder that landed on your car. It did. That Nasty. wasn't so good. That's not so good. Is that a paint job, or is it... Um, no, it wasn't that bad. It's just a little dent. Yeah. Well, Mark, um, pleased to have you aboard. Mark Tinley, our sound uh, artist extraordinaire, uh, can be found at com with all the other stuff that he's up to, uh, many other things too. And uh, we'll say hello also to non-Eric from musotalk.de. How you doing? Haven't seen you in Spongy for ages. Yeah, I'm fine, yeah. I just worked my way through Logic 9. Have you? Oh, maybe yeah. you could tell us a bit about that later. Because um, I've been trying to get a hold of a copy. I'm not, I'm sorry if i'm going to buy it and review it I'm, i think they should send me an update i've bought the original version so but nobody seems to be getting back to me so if there's anyone there from apple send it over and i'll take a look at it because I, I i think it could be quite interesting non-eric from musotalk.de uh, purveyors of fine german language music production tutorials and podcasts and videocasts and all the such like well, good to have you here oh that sounds cool did you like the introduction i've been working wow. on it massive massive i'm bigging you up <laughs> so um well this is hot sonic talk 144 i guess we could just jump straight in there and obviously the first the first well before i start i'm I the last podcast that we did uh live was uh sonic talk number 142 and we did a little thing about the sewer um art of with bruno rinvolucri Rinol, who is uh been doing these sort of arty audio pieces and i asked him what he used and in case um, anyone was wondering he used a zoom h2 to record and it was all recorded in tunnels running from Clapham under Brixton to Hernhill to West Dulwich. The instruments were just a mini electric guitar plugged into a portable amp. And that's what the weird sounds you heard in the rest of the podcast. And I just thought I'd share that with you guys because he got back to me. But anyway, let's get on to the first topic. And that is, I guess, Snow Leopard. I mean, we have to cover every uh, OS release. And Snow Leopard is, uh, aka uh, 10.6, is Apple's latest offering. Um... I'm not quite sure what it does offer because I haven't got it. I'm not, not unlikely to upgrade my um, 
my Mac at this point. But uh, it basically, as far as I understand it, it streamline the code. You can claim up to 15, 20 gigabytes of disk space back, apparently. Printer drivers, all that sort of thing, just kind of only gets it when it does, when it needs it. But obviously, there are bound to be issues. I know, Rich, Hilton, you've actually um, done this. You've, you've, you've taken the leap. I'm pos- soaking in it as we speak. What possessed you, and what did it do for you? Oh, it gave me a sense of adventure <laughs> in my life. Um, <laughs> uh, it, I tend to use my laptop as the testing ground, yeah. you know, knowing full well that it's well backed up prior to any given moment of potential foolishness. And so um, when I read that a lot of people were running Pro Tools successfully, in it, even though DigiDesign was not tossing the holy water yet, I decided to uh, give it a shot. Okay. And, and how was the is, experience? Did it claim your drive back for you? I got some. I got some space back, but they say that that's partially to do with the way it calculates space for anything. Because now, for right. example, apparently they've changed the way they represent the available and used memory. Oh, right. So that's mathematically. Just a statistical thing. It's a, co- it's a combination of the two. No, oh. but a pa- like, for example, it was in the past that if you formatted, say, a 200 gigabyte drive, you would show up with 181 or whatever. Yeah, or 160 sure. or some stupidly large number of gigabytes donated to the directory. And um, these days, that's changed, apparently. Right. That it represents everything, including the available drive space and the used drive space, differently. So part of that, whatever, 7 gig that I appeared to get back is lost in math and has nothing to do with actual drive space. <laughs> right. Part of it, part of it, if I understand this correctly, and the other part of it actually has something to do with, um, you know, knocking out the PowerPC code. Lost in marketing. Who knows? It's, it, it's markedly zippier, and it does do, uh, as they say, feel more responsive. All oh, right. Well, that's got to be a good thing, right? In the finder actions. Yeah, that's it, good. Yeah, it's fun. And, the, and their apps, you know, launch quicker and you, you can move if you, you know, if you're one of the five or ten people who use spaces like me, um, you can move from space to fa- space faster. All the kind of finder based actions seem to be more responsive. Oh, well, that's kind of good. I mean, also, um, there's some, you know, a lot of this is under the hood. Some people are basically saying that uh, it was, uh, try- they're trying to get, uh, steal the thunder of Windows 7. They thought, right, we'll just save up a bunch of um, fixes that should have happened anyway with minor rollouts and turn it into a big operating upgrade and make some cash too while we're at it because it's only 30 bucks. But uh, I don't know whether that's true or not. Um, John Van Eaton in the uh, in the chat room says Snow Leopard, buy all your plugins again. Named uh, Ni and Ik Hell. Uh, <laughs> I don't know whether that's that's the case or not, but uh, that looks we'll like see. a bitter experience uh, has happened there. I don't know, um, Hans. Have you had a look at this? Are you going to bother? Is this something that um, you feel you need in your mm, life? Well, the, the one question I'd like to ask Rich is: uh, Are you pressing the magic six and four when you boot up? So you are actually in 64-bit mode, or are you running the 32-bit default mode, which I think is rather weird for a 60-bit operating system? Yeah, that's true. That's, that I they have can, not. They call it an it, Easter egg. You, when you boot up, you press 6 and 4, and then it boots into 64-bit mode. But obviously, there are only a few, um, there's only like four or five actual Macs that can run in 64-bit mode anyway, aren't there? 
That's correct. Yeah. Not many laptops, I'd imagine. I mean, we got four gig maximum RAM in um, in in mine, and some of them only took three, and then the ones before that only took two. So you wouldn't get any benefits anyway. So to me, uh, so Richard, just did you or not? I have not, and I'm oh. running it on a MacBook. Uh, okay, so you wouldn't be able to either, anyways, right? I yeah, think it's so maybe it's all maybe it's all smoke and mirrors. Maybe it's running at the same speed. <laughs> well, by the looks of things, I mean there is a big list of stuff that doesn't work. One of the, the only thing I could find immediately was uh, a Toneport UX8 driver from Line Six. But there, there's some things that are going on under the hood, and one of one of them is Grand Central Dispatch, which apparently is a kind of it's an interface for programmers to make use of multi-core and multi-threading stuff, which might be easier than doing it from the, from the get-go. It's called Grand Central Dispatch, and it's a sort of mechanism for distributing processes amongst the available cores, which may or may not be good for developers. I don't know. Dave Spears can't be here today because uh, it's Louise's birthday, his wife, and uh, we'd like to say happy birthday, Louise, but uh, he would probably have a handle on this. I don't know, Mark, you haven't, uh, you haven't had anything to say on this yet. Do you think you'll bother, or will you just wait till you have to buy a new computer um i'll wait till somebody tells me it does something useful for me i think <laughs> John, I, haven't, you know- <laughs> I haven't upgraded to logic nine yet so i suppose at some point i'll do that and then it will get to the point where something won't work with something else and then i'll have to yeah I, i'm like just that. not going to risk it at the moment john van eaton says uh, if you push eight does it boot up like an atari which i think <laughs> that would be a great oh. idea wouldn't it what a great idea <laughs> but, it, but it does bring back uh it does bring back uh the issue that um compared to uh windows upgrades the uh, the apple upgrades are usually more painful is that true I don't know. Well, really. I, I mean, big way. I don't generally find that to be the case. I mean, I've no, got, you, you, you can, without any problems, uh, on the latest Windows, I think even on li- Windows 7, run Logic 5 without any problems. Oh, I see. Yeah, the legacy oh, stuff. Oh, as in backwards compatibility. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's yeah right. I tried yeah, running but- Logic 6 on panther the other day and it wouldn't have it but is that yeah. is that a good thing or a bad thing because that's basically like saying well essentially they it's haven't a good really, thing they haven't really changed buy, anything you don't have to buy an update of all your plugins every time apple releases mm. new os well but here's the problem with logic six seven eight nine right if i've got something which i recorded using logic 3.5 and i want to load that into logic eight yeah it says you can't do this unless you load it into an intermediary number first so i have to load it into logic six and then resave it that's very true before it will load into seven or eight or nine so i need to be able to run run logic six on something and i don't want to have to keep this powerbook g4 forever to do that but it looks like i'm going to have to because it won't logic six won't run on my imac or alternatively you could just load and save all your 3.5 songs now oh yeah right well, I don't know how many you've got. I mean, thousands. Oh, well, okay. Is there a, not a. Ba- could you not write an Apple script to do it? Mm. Oh, go on. I can see that. Yeah, the, but the, wheels uh, are, the wheels are it turning. It won't find all the audio and everything else, will it? It's, you know. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a dull a dull afternoon or week, perhaps. Month. <laughs> Month. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Snow Leopard. I mean, uh, I know, Rich, you're, you're using it. So. Um, Anything kind of thrown up that you've just gone, oh dear, that's nasty? No, absolutely well, not. It, there's really been no issue. None. That, great. <laughs> I can't find I'm, one. I'm glad to hear it. Um, well, anyway, Snow Leopard, it's there if you want it. Um, it's 29 bucks, 
and uh, apparently, you know, you can buy family packs. You can get like eight copies for 80 bucks. You know, there's loads of it. Um, check it out if you want to. So um, let's move on to our next topic, which I think um, I've got a clip for. Let me just find. Ah, oh, yes. I think we will all enjoy this. Roboto Productions is pleased to present the Concert Hand System, a brand new product for learning to play the piano and electronic keyboard. The Concert Hand System has you playing in minutes. Features consist of wrist pilots that gently guide your hands to each area of the keyboard and custom designed finger sleeves that lightly signal each finger as to when to press the piano keys. The Concert Hand System incorporates augmented musical instrument technology with an easy to use software program, giving you the most exciting piano playing experience possible. Well, well, I say what it is. This is from Rubato Productions Inc. Uh, it uses something called augmented musical instrument technology, which is something that they're pushing quite a lot. Which is kind of seems to be mechanically assisted and assisted haptic feedback generated uh, instrument learning. And um, basically, it's a robot robotic piano teacher and it's got got kind of six foot bar that goes underneath an 88 key keyboard that you rest your hands on you also have a little ring on every finger which presumably kind of gives you ever so tiny little electric shock say press it now and it moves your hands to the place in the on the keyboard where it should be playing which to be honest looks pretty ridiculous and actually if you strap somebody's hands to it and then got them to play a high c and a low c at the same time repeatedly you could sort of end up beating their heads into um into the front panel of the keyboard so i think it could be used for bad purposes but it it, it may well be something kind of interesting i don't know rich now you can comment because people know what it is it's uh to me it's somewhere between a medieval torture device and milgram's laboratory (laughs) (laughs) but didn't you see the smiling child uh i actually saw an adult i thought in the video that That was that that but uh Look, it's. Um, I understand where they're coming from, and on some level, anything that encourages people to want to try to keep to play musical instruments is a good thing. So, if it convinces somebody that this is going to be easier than they thought it was going to be, and therefore they go ahead and do it, and it has that sort of positive effect, well, great. But as a mechanical aid, it's as I said. <laughs> But but um, because, for example, it can't possibly one of the most important things to me about the way I play is having correct hand position. And I don't believe that resting your wrist in some kind of metallic device that's shocking you is going to encourage <laughs> you to have um, correct hand position. And furthermore, that those are not the kinds of st- the stimulus needs to come from you, not from outside. So the whole thing is kind of built it may on help. I would just, I'm, I'm just looking at it, and all I could think of was, "Mummy, I'm scared. Don't make me go." You know, it just looks terrifying to maybe small children. But um, it, uh, one of the quotes on the website says, "It's amazing. In just hours, I was able to play the piano." <laughs> which uh, doesn't seem to be backed up by an awful lot of information. There isn't a great deal of information available about it. Uh, it's got left and habat. There are two versions. There's a sort of big, chunky version that has left and right hand wrist pilots, a six-foot hand guidance tracks with two motors that travel left and right along the tracks, uh, adjustable track stand, um, five-finger signal sleeves, 120-volt power supply. Now, that's the two things that kind of make me feel a little uncomfortable right there together in the same bullet list. Uh, and some special program that works on X that tells you what to do uh the uh, the big version is a mere wait for it 10 grand and the portable version is a mere five grand 
So, which is, well, I mean, you can get a pretty decent <laughs> piano and quite a lot of lessons for ten grand, can you? No kidding. <laughs> I think I think we're probably. I mean, it does look ridiculous. I think unfortunately they did use a rather um, a strange choice of voiceover on that video as well. That just sounds a bit weird. It sounds a bit weird. It looks a bit weird. But maybe in practice, it's actually quite good. But it's hard to feel compelled to try it out from those marketing materials that we've been presented with. Hands, can you think of anything else that um, do you, Do you think it could work? I mean, is there something that you would like to try on Muso Talk as a as a kind of um, no, I'd, I'd, I'd rather would like to see it on a, a British TV show that uh, I l- really loved while I was on my Scotland holiday. It's something about the Dragon's Dent. Ah, yes. <laughs> That's yeah. a good point. Because this could, this could be a, a great place to present this and see if any of those would invest. Dragons you know what it's kind of funny you should say that because it does rather look like an investment um, vehicle this whole sort of website it's all quite slickly done but there's very little information about it the only place i could find um information was on third party websites because everybody published the the kind of press release around about the same time and uh you know there was it was just the same stuff and the videos were cruddy as well it doesn't really kind of give you much to go on but um you know but i think rich got got a point i think you know there's there's more to playing the piano than just putting your hand over the right key yeah and and uh, i think it's probably even counterproductive but that's a good place to start though Mm, i don't know but it does look kind of funny just seeing because i mean i'm thinking how far could it possibly move i mean what are you going to do you're going to go put a three-year-old on it and say right now you play some um chopin or some <laughs> rachmaninoff now you need to move you know what i mean it just sort of seems kind of you know you don't really want to teach very small children to sort of fling their hands up and down the keyboard you know you'd want to get them started on maybe an octave or something wouldn't you so i'm not sure the sliding yeah. wrist um controllers would be of that much use but anyway um if you want to check it out it's um it's available uh, this came from bartle hogard who's a regular uh, topic contributor uh, mark i believe has uh, had to head off because he's having a shopping delivered today so he's probably uh, filling the fridge right now so maybe it's a good time to have an ad what do you reckon? Oh, very good. I think that's very a good, good. plan. See how I did that? It's kind of slick. Shopping ad. So uh, at this point, we'd like to say thank you very much to Roland.co.uk, who are continued sponsorship of the show. Uh, they'd like to bring your attention to the Juno DI mobile synthesizer, which has got around about a thousand presets in it, all sort of based on Phantom G engine. Um, the the synth itself is kind of preset based, which makes it very very easy to use in a performance uh, environment. But it's also got a very powerful editor, which allows you to get really deep in and kind of get into the synthesis of the sounds as well. Uh, it's got uh, battery operation, so you can use it for mobile um, use. It's also got a mic input. Uh, it's got a song MIDI file player, MIDI fi- MIDI file player, MP3 player, AIF player, WAV player that allows you to play back songs and jam along with them and mute certain parts. It's at centre cancel stuff, so you can knock out the vocal and sing along. It's it's kind of got a lot to offer, in fact. Um, but I, I did review it quite recently, uh, and I was uh, very pleased with the results actually i kind of thought it was a, a great keyboard for uh, a player even though it's it's got a low cost it's about 550 pounds about maybe 700 dollars, 600 dollars, something like that uh, depending on when you shop around it's got an awful lot to offer and the sounds in it uh, don't sound that low cost they actually sound really good so let me just uh, direct you to roland.co.uk and check out the juno di and if you buy one anywhere write to roland and tell them we sent you because they will uh, continue to lavish 
us with their their sponsorship of which we are very pleased and uh, we we like to thank them for their continued sponsorship of the show roland.co.uk and the juno di go check it out right i think mark is back um we could probably just uh go back to the uh, robot piano hands and ask mark what he thought about them weird weird yes i think that about sums it up do you think are there any sort of electromechanical devices that you think are appropriate for learning uh, musical instruments i don't know actually i mean i don't think i'd get on very well with that because i don't you know like when people kind of do that thing where they try to get you to relax and fall backwards into their arms and stuff i think you would need to be able to relax oh i see the trust hands and stuff I, i would go all rigid it would be like breaking breaking my fingers trying to get me to move them where it wanted to <laughs> don't fight the force mark go with it i know um are there any mechanical devices that make it easy to play a musical instrument the only one i can think of is the thing that they used to sell in uh one of the catalogs like little woods or something and it was this thing that you screwed on the end of a guitar and then you had buttons that you could press and it would make chords do you remember those it was like a mechanical thing. You screwed it onto your guitar neck and it had big buttons on it and they pressed these mechanical kind of things inside that pr- held down chord shapes for you. Uh, I've got I, one somewhere. I think I remember, yes, I do remember some. There, there, there's, it's called an auto chord or something. There is something similar. Um, oh, it, was, it was released recently at the, or, or on display recently at the, at the Nashville show. I went, oh, I know how to make the rhythm for this. And I had a Revox A77. I only had two track machines at the time at home. And so, you know, I got a microphone out and put it by the mixing bowl and threw a handful of coins in. And went, right, that's one noise. And then tore some paper up. Right, there's another one. And then searched around for the sound of a cash register or something. And thought, oh, it's in 7-8. Okay, so I cut up seven pieces of tape of the sound effects exactly the same length. And... and um, spliced them together and you know stuck it in the revox going around a mic stand to hold it like that and press the button and that and that was it we actually made the loop on onto a four track tape um which meant that uh, the that was just a little excerpt from the uh, classic albums the making of the dark side of the moon and uh, that came up um i'm trying to remember where that came from but i just found it on youtube and uh, i thought it was great what did you think Rich, can you remember doing any uh, tape manipulation kind of tape loops? They did actually make the claim in there that they said that they were probably the first band to play along with tape loops. I wonder if that's true or not. Maybe it seems impossible because, for example, at that point, I think you already had had Who's Next, where the Who played along with pulsing synthesizers, which is that the same as they like, did they print it first and then they're playing along with tape? I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, or is the fact that it's not a loop significant but it's kind of you know I, it, people had, had been playing along with things at that point and it was very brilliant and creative of them to do what they did so i rather i loved watching that video it was really interesting and you had certainly three of the most highly involved players in the actual doing of it describing it to you and showing you like solo tracks it was great i loved it yeah i love that sort of thing and it just reinforces the idea to me that i still think they should be releasing more of this stuff on multi-track so we can dig around i really want to see more of it uh but you know what can i say it sort of gave the impression of 
the innovation but in a sort of really high <laughs> high-end way because uh, they've got all this sort of massive amounts of equipment which they must have been one you know they, i don't know how much that album cost to record but it must have been the pinnacle of music production and they were sort of still oh. in the shed kind of making tape loops which are kind of quite light uh-huh well a lot of creativity is indicated there on their part it was really uh an insight into how brilliant that recording is yeah hans did you get uh, a chance I- to- no, I didn't get a chance to watch it on YouTube, but I, but I do own the DVD. Ah, you've seen ah. the lot. I just got the. I've only got the six minute excerpt. <laughs> I've got the whole lot, and it it's great. I mean, it. Uh, uh, I always find um, this kind of footage uh, very um, encouraging. You know, to go into the studio and do something myself. And uh, it reminds me uh, of how tedious and how long stuff used to take that we now take for granted yeah, well, with all the yeah. machinery and all the stuff. And the question is, uh, for me right now, is what are the new techniques that could be compared? I mean, um, we just released a, a club music workshop yeah. on musictalk.de and we're, using, uh, we're showing um, uh, Dominic, who's a trans producer, uh, he's showing a, a software called Life Cut, and it sort of randomly triggers bits and pieces of out of your audio file, and you can record that and can do new stuff. And it does a lot, a lot of stuff, you know, automatically for you. But yeah. it's uh, actually destructive, so you have to record that to, uh, to your hard drive, and then later you would edit the pieces that you like out of it. But seeing how fast these days you can you know do something kind of weird kind of new it's shocking yeah but is it going to be new because i mean as soon as it's, it's almost like if you can figure out how it works then you might be you might steal the march on it and if you get it yeah. out quick but uh, nick you've got a point there the, the problem today is that it's so easy these days to replicate something that you've heard in a club at home yeah, you, because it's all done with these twenty, thirty tools out there, and uh, so uh, you know it only takes a couple of days for uh, at least you know twenty, thirty records to come out that mimic this great new hype sound or new editing idea. Yeah, that's probably uh, it's getting harder these days. Well, I mean, if original. If, no? Yeah, if you flip that round, is it harder to innovate? It you know, in, in terms of production techniques, I mean, obviously, you know, innovation in songwriting and kind of takes on... on, on there is on, no on, innovation in songwriting. It's always the same old formula. Thing. Yeah, I suppose. But, um, but at least that's something that doesn't rely on your tools so much. It's just something that yeah. comes a bit more from your spirit and your soul and, you know, where your head is at rather than whether you've just figured out how to use uh, the loop recorder in Ableton Live 8, for instance. I don't know. Actually, Rich, that's an interesting thing because I mean, you're working in the studio all the time with kind of top musicians. I mean, is there uh, a pressure uh, to to innovate, or is it mostly just about how it should feel? And as long as it sounds good, you know, it's got it, it, it's sort of recognizing that thing, the magic fairy dust stuff. I like to think that the opportunity to innovate is ever present. Uh huh. I like to think that. Yeah, I think that's true. It is. <laughs> it <laughs> I don't is. know to what extent that's real or true, but I tend to approach everything I do, even if it's something I've done a thousand times before, from a standpoint of 
take trying to seize an opportunity to innovate my approach to it in some way. Right. Whether I'm innovating for the rest of the world, I have no idea. And I, and that may seem incredibly selfish and self-centered and all that. But, but uh, I figure if I just keep trying to do a better job and find new ways to do what I do, that, if, that it'll, that whatever notice comes of it comes of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's right. I mean, I suppose the thing is, is if you're, you know, if you're kind of producing something and the key is to get an arresting sound, then there's not, I don't know how far you can, you know, where do you go? A lot of it's being handled by, you know, plugins and tools that just will immediately go, you just go, yeah, I want it to sound glitch. It's like, dunk, you know, you can get really microscopic about it and all those things. I mean, and whether or not those opportunities are there. I mean, Mark, you're, are you with us now? I am with you, yes. Um, did you, d- we were just talking about the fact that, you know, because it's sort of so much easier to produce t- professional and mimicried sounds uh, nowadays rather than, you know, when you had to have a student four track and tape loops and stuff, which was hard to come by, that it's harder to actually innovate um, in terms of production. And I know you like to kind of mess around and do things kind of in unusual ways. Do you find that there is, uh, there are less avenues to pursue or more? more avenues to uh, there's more avenues to pursue but there's more people pursuing them <laughs> quite a lot so of relief it's, to, it, into it the is same difficult place. to do something different yeah i suppose i mean the key part of my personality is that i'm different so, so you know it's almost like well why wouldn't you know why wouldn't i have asperger's syndrome it's it's different isn't it if you know right what I mean. so it gives you a different v- viewpoint mean, and a different um but it, but but it also fits in my, like my whole personality. Well, like I was kind of different at school and my whole personality is to be different. And in, in a way that is almost a stumbling block because whenever I approach music, I always approach it like I've got to do something innovative and different. Right. But actually sometimes what the client wants is for you to make it sound like that, that. record over there. Yeah. And I always fall when it comes to that. Right. Because I can't, I find it really difficult to do something the same that, that sounds the same as something else, and okay. I always want to try and make it sound new. All right, and, uh, yeah, it's kind of a weird one, really. Personally. Yeah, I suppose, but that gives it the only flavour. But it's an interesting point that you know this whole video raised up, and, and as you were saying, Hans, it's uh, the fact that it's actually uh, there is so much of this stuff available to people that you can actually, you know, reach a, a fairly. Um, acceptable conclusion you know you can kind of go i want it to sound like this and it's pretty much you know there's a preset in uh, in a in in a combinator or in uh, a combination of presets in in logic or a channel strip or whatever you can just load it up and as long as you've got a reasonably acceptable source it sort of sounds quite a bit like that i mean one of the things that you've got to think about that makes that record different anyway is the time signature Yes. And the one thing that people don't tend to play with anymore is time signatures because they're kind of forced into 4-4 four, four by the software a lot more than they would be if they were just playing. You have to have some knowledge of – in other words, if you're a bedroom musician who's just had garage band land in their lap, hmm. you have to have some knowledge of the software to, to switch time signatures around and play with that. Oh, yeah. Well, you can't Otherwise, really do you that tend to end up in 4-4. So I, I think, you know – if people want to innovate, they should learn how to change the time signature on their um, drum box and how to, or whatever, on their in their software, and learn how to how to um, quantize the different uh, time 
yeah, yeah, and yeah, and all that yeah, sort of stuff. There's a funny anecdote that happened to me in the studio. I was playing around with uh, some stuff from John Carpenter, the Halloween scene. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that would be nice to have that in the trance track. And I tried to play it in, play it in, play it in. Like, what is the bloody software at the time was my MPC doing, you know? And it took me ages to figure out it was a seven eighth. <laughs> and that's why it didn't work. Well, right. the, the first <laughs> remix I ever did was of uh, La Serenissima, Rondo Veneziano, which has got some really strange eights and twelves and uh, strange rounds and uh, and threes. And it took me ages to figure that out. I mean, I'm sure I didn't get it right, but um, it definitely was It's very challenging when you're working to, you know, that's the other thing that when you start to look at classical music, I mean, it's all over the place. I mean, it's very rare that you get, the, you know, five bars together that have got the same time signature in a lot of stuff, which is, you know, and that's what makes it different i suppose innovative in that way so maybe it is about the composition not the sound the guy mm. that programmed before me for duran duran um john jones went to russia with them and uh this russian composer i think it was russia or czechoslovakia um had he composed this amazing piece of strings to go with one of the tracks and it was all in different time signatures and JJ sat down and worked it out and broke it up into 4-4 four, four and handed it back to the guy. And this guy was standing there scratching his head like, going, what have you done to my music? And, of course, the music's exactly the same. He'd just broken up where the bars started and ended so that the whole thing was in 4-4. Four, four. Oh, right, so that he could put it on the grid. <laughs> so he could put it in the computer, yeah. But it really, the, the composer was completely perplexed by it and didn't understand it at all. I suppose it's the same. Well, but then you're taking away his grid effectively because the time signature stuff helps you identify the downbeat much more easily, doesn't it? Whereas if you're yeah. just shifting it across a, a fixed time signature, then it would be really hard for a group of people to follow unless they were really paying attention. Yeah. In- interesting. Interesting. Well, I suppose we could do specialist Mies. What do you think specialist Mies? I'm very sure. interested to know what do you think of, um, well... The most powerful mouse in the world. The one you've always dreamed of is now yours. The time has come to transform your PC or Mac into an ultimate dance machine. Be a professional DJ in one minute without the science of mixing music. Well, there you go. That was just a short clip to introduce the DJ mouse, which is a uh, 79 bucks kind of dj controller with a, a scroll wheel a couple of buttons a shift thing and a, a a scrubbing wheel in the middle of it and it wasn't really necessarily what did we think of that per se but uh, whether or not there is the perfect um input device i mean me myself i'm i'm wedded to the trackpad on my macbook pro uh, especially more so now it's got this sort of multi-touch gesture and all this sort of thing it's find it really easy to use and get around with although when i'm working programming kind of deep midi whatever i prefer using a mouse and lots of people i know um use trackpads and what have you so i just thought i'd take a quick poll and see what uh, see what people are, are up for using rich what is it that you you tend to gr- grab for when you you need a bit of tight control. I've been a trackball guy for over 20 years. Uh, originally the square with the big cue ball in the middle. Yeah, I had one of those. And more recently, I've spent two years trying to get used to this Logitech. I don't know what it's called. It's an optical thing. It's ergonomically, your, your hand wraps around it. and 
And I'm still unsure about it. And then when I did the studio in the islands, we had an Apple mouse and I started getting used to that. And I think the Apple mouse is brilliant, actually, particularly that little nipple on the top. It's just really an outstanding way of controlling things. And uh, there's one sort of small downside with that, too, which is the right click is a little shaky to me. But but yeah. uh, but um, so you're 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 twixt you're twixt trackpad and mouse, are you? I'm kind of in lim- controller trackball. limbo because I'm not loving the trackball I've got. I don't, I, but I really want a scrolling, and I don't like the way Kensington is scrolling these days with some kind of wacky ring around the ball that, that's just <laughs> real odd to me. And uh, so I'm kind of up in the air at the moment on it for the but, first time in a long time. Really? Well, I, I know I, it's interesting. I, I had a feeling you were going to be a trackball kind of guy. I don't know why it was. I know this because I used to use a trackball, and a friend of mine um, uses trackball. A couple of people I know use trackballs, but I, yeah, I just can't. I can't get on with them now. I just really can't do it. Hans. Yep. What about you? Do you just use whatever's available, or do you have a a favourite? When it comes to mice, I use a Logitech Gamers mice mouse. Okay, is that got lots of buttons? a lot of buttons and they're a little bit bigger uh, this one is a little bit bigger than the regular mouse and a little bit heavier and i like that sort of more heavy feeling uh, if it comes to mouse to a mouse but i will always use a, a mackie control universal for music because i need to you know use the transport on on the mackie control and the faders and the mute and the solo i'll use it all the time Hmm. That's another. That yeah. It's a big. That's a. That's been used an awful lot, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I really I, use that a lot. Yes. I had one for a little while to try, it and I must admit, I really did like it. And the only thing I've got a couple of sort of dinosaurs lying around. I've got the uh, Alpha Track Frontier, uh, Frontier. You know, the, uh, and I haven't really been using that much. I thought I'd use it loads. I've got a Behringer BCF two thousand, which I used quite a bit as well. But uh, I'm trackpad. I think I'm. I think I'm trackpad. Mark. I've got two things. I've got a Logitech mouse, which is basically the shape of my hand. Mm. It doesn't have any wires coming out of it. It has two buttons and a wheel, which I like. Yeah. And then the other thing I've got is a genius pen pad thing, which is quite a nice way to use logic, actually, with a pen. I imagine it's really good for selecting lots of things at once. Mm. That kind of stuff. Is that like an A5? Or how, how big is that? Is that a tiny little thing, or is it? No, it's an A4 thing. Oh, right, it works okay. just like a mouse, really. It's got a couple of buttons on it, and you put the pen on the screen, and it goes where you put the pen, basically. Yeah, I couldn't get on with that, because I want to look at my hand and my and, and, not, and at the screen at the same time, and I couldn't... I, yeah, I, I find that really difficult. Difficult to I use. I mean, I think... I, I, my problem is that after using the Apple... PowerBook G4 trackpad for a couple of years, I ended up with really bad carpal tunnel syndrome and a frozen shoulder. What, for using the trackpad? I'm convinced it was from the weird kind of really tense kind of small movements that you do on a trackpad. And since I've stopped using it, it's improved. So what I tend to do is I tend to use as many different kinds of input as possible so if i spend two hours working on a computer i'll swap around on different use different things Mm, that's probably a good idea what i really want is to just be able to touch the screen well apparently that might be coming quite soon isn't it 
I think it. Well, you can I, buy a touchscreen. There's various different versions of that, but I know I was in Tesco's the other day, and I wanted to buy one of those picture frames, and it was sort of all up, and the software was up on the screen, and I started prodding at the screen and trying to move things around on the screen, and I was thinking, why is this not bloody working? It's not, you know, something wrong with this. And then I thought, oh, hang on a minute, maybe it doesn't have a touchscreen. And I had this realization; it probably operated via remote. And because I use the iPhone, I just automatically assume that all screens are touch screens now. So when you know when you go to the bank to get money out or whatever, you sort of press the screen and not the buttons and so on. So yeah, I wonder if that's actually gonna we're gonna start to see. Well, I mean, it looks like we're going more and more in that direction. I think direction. we will see more touch screens. But the thing is, when you've got like a big twenty big monitor, you know, you're going to be waving your arms around quite a lot. And that's perhaps not so. It's going to be quite exhausting having a day's work on the computer if you've got to kind of manipulate a large, uh, you know. Well, Rich, you've got a thirty. Is yours thirty-two inch monitor or something? If that was a touchscreen. It would. Uh, you'd be. You'd, you'd be kind of built after a week's work of that, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been using thirty-inch monitors uh, in the studio, and they're wonderful. They're so, so what you should what you should have is a thirty-inch monitor in front of you. Yeah, and a fifteen-inch touchscreen on your desk, so you can just m- manipulate stuff, and and it echoes up in in mm. front of you. Hmm. Okay. Well, sounds very um, kind of like the movie. Uh, what was the movie with Tom Cruise where they walk up to a glass panel and stuff oh, just yeah. appears? That one. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Minority Report. Minority. Yeah, that's it. I think that's it. Well, thanks for that insight. I think. Um, I think really it's it, it it's still there's quite a lot of options and they seem to you know each one suits a different person but yeah I'm still very much trackpad but anyway um uh I, well maybe it's time to do another ad then let's now um welcome our second show sponsor and also one who's been with us for quite some time now uh, in the form of loopmasters.com who are the number one website and sample cd distributor uh and bringing you the most inspirational collections of royalty-free sounds and samples from some of the top producers worldwide. In fact, they've just welcomed Global Underground. They've just been brought on board as a producer of loops for them. Um, their collections are available in multiple formats. You've got all kinds of music types, down-tempo, chill-out, dance breaks, jazz, etc. Uh, all sorts of formats, uh, Rex, WAV, AFF... Um, reason refills etc etc uh, so check out loopmasters.com they have a lot of stuff coming out on a regular basis in fact if you want to stay informed probably the easiest way is just to send us an email uh, to free stuff at sonicstate.com uh, we will then send you a link to download a pack of free samples that they've given us to check out and also um, you can you have the opportunity to sign up for the newsletter so you could kill all two birds with one stone and end up with notifications of their great stuff coming out and get some free stuff and what have you so uh, if if you want to do that, send an email to freestuff at sonicstate.com. And while you're uh, on the subject of Loop Masters, their number four video podcast from looptv.net, which is their sister site, which kind of gives them uh, video content and what have you, features Adam Freeland from Core, uh, on, which features Adam Freeland uh, on Tour Life on Life on the Road, uh, Rob Jones tells us all about the vocoder in Live 8, and all the videos being souped up and uh, re encoded to look better and stream better so check that out at looptv.net but uh, please do uh, sign up for the newsletter and get the free stuff by sending an email to freestuff at sonicstate.com 
Nick, I would need to split in 10 minutes because tonight we've got the uh, music talk party. Maybe yeah. you want to do a little bit of logic, no? Oh, yes. Tell us a bit more about Logic 9 because we did talk about it and some of the great features. Um, um, well, well, I looked at it uh, uh, mainly uh, on, uh, from two angles. First, you know, all these time manipulation possibilities. Yeah, yeah, which is new stuff. And then, uh, obviously, also the new amp designer. But uh, when, when we talk about new stuff, there's always, you know, is it new or is it new for Logic? And basically, all the stuff is new for Logic. And uh, even in, and also with the amp designer, that's even not new for Logic. That's another new um, update of the uh, uh, Guitar Amp Pro. And... Uh, I tried to, um, the first thing I would try to do was obviously uh, see how good the emulation was. And I, I you know, uh, got my Bogner, Bogner Alchemist um, tube amp out, you know, set it up. And then I tried to mimic the sound um, on the, on the plug-in. And I wasn't really very successful. I was very disappointed at that point. Hmm. And then uh, I was strolling through the various presets and then I came across a preset where I thought, oh, that sounds rather nice. Uh, tweak that just a little bit. And then I said, oh, why don't I try to get close to that sound on my uh, real amp? Ah, so do it the other way around, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then I, I did the, uh, the, the ACDC sort of thing, you know, hard pent left, right, doubling a guitar. Yeah. Well, one side, uh, the, uh, the emulation, the other side, the real amp. And then I had uh, two friends come in and I said, okay, can you tell me what, what do you think? Which one of, you know, left and right, what, what do you think is uh, emulation and what's the real amp? And obviously with a full playback play, nobody can tell the difference. And, uh, and even when you soloed it, out of the, they both thought that the emulation was the real amp. <laughs> wow. Because I thought that, yeah, they sound, thought it sounded better. But so at the end of the day, because the two presets were not, uh, the two sounds were obviously not 100% identical. Um, they were judging it more not by, they couldn't tell, is that the emulation or is that the real amp? Right. They just thought that one of the two sounded better to them, like in terms of they liked it better. That's interesting, guys. I had a theory about that, which was um, obviously with an emulation, you're kind of trying to, characterize the um you know the, the 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 sonic kind of attributes of uh the real thing and so therefore the valve emulation is kind of more val more more valvey than the valves because they're trying to make it appear so so you it will be more appealing does that make sense maybe <laughs> there's another long-term psychological aspect here in that we're all getting progressively more used to the sound of emulations and probably nobody's heard a guitar amp in years. <laughs> so well, they're probably going, yeah, that sounds more like what I'm hearing on records these days. I mean, that's, that's definitely a problem with all the over-compression and, you know, the, the harsh and digital sounds of today's dance music, that eventually that's going to be just the standard. Everything's going to, you know, that's what people will get used to. But I think uh, another point is valid that once you're inside the system, you know, once you're inside the digital domain within Logic, the differences become smaller. So okay. when I compare, you know, putting up the amp through my analog board directly into the speakers, it sounds totally different, uh, I mean, more different 
to the emulation than it sounds once I've recorded it into Logic. Does that make sense? Yes. So once yeah, it's, a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, because you've got a speaker pumping out some stuff in a room, which yeah. is powered by valves, and then you've got something that's been constrained into 24-bit 44 or whatever it is. Yeah, because so because the, if the emulation... If the emulation is better at emulating miking up a good engineer miking up a amp, and you're not so hot at miking up an amp, then it's going to sound better anyway, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But I, I think uh, what I found out, what, what's really striking me, uh, was that when I put up my uh, SP1200 one day, and I was regularly going through the um, audio interface into the speakers. Mm-hmm. You know, just you know, just the uh, the, uh, the the SP twelve hundred was connected to an input, and I just connected my active uh, Mackie uh, speakers to the output of the. So I was not going inside the computers. I wasn't doing any manipulation. I was just you know just using it to be able to hear right. the machine. Right, and then I switched and got my old Mackie analog little 1201 out, connected that to the active speakers, connected that to my SP-1200, and suddenly I was going, what is the hell is going on with that bass drum? Now it's got the, you know, it's got longer decay, everything. So it was such a difference. I, I had totally forgotten about how different stuff sounds once it's been digitized. Yeah. Well, it, uh, yeah, I mean, it does. I mean, that's very true. What, what else? What other aspects did you have a look at with Logic Nine then? Well, I looked at the, um, uh, you know, the, oh, the time the, compression stuff. Yeah, yeah the, the, all the flex stuff. And, and how's that? Uh, that's, you know, what's funny is that, and what's that's what I'm going to show in my uh, video is I have going to have a side by side comparison between how the flexing works compared to the warping in Ableton Live, and it's really striking how close that is i mean it's exactly working the same way it looks very similar yeah it's the sort it's, of taking the markers and moving it around in between and what's so the sound it, quality like have they t- they must have tweaked the algorithms as well um the, the sound quality is good that you mention it i think logic is suffering a little bit from the outdated uh, time fact- yeah what is it called time, time factory fact- yeah yeah it's terrible terrible and because um, i time stretch a vocal sample to show how uh how important, you know, the ability to do what you can do with flex time and the warp markers in Ableton is. For example, if you're doing a remix and, the, and you, you have to time stretch the vocals, then usually some of the way the vocals are timed, you know, won't make sense at the different tempo. You know no. what I mean? Well, if you're just time stretching it, no, it can't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so at some part, it's nice to just take a word or a vowel or whatever and make that longer or shorter. Hmm. And um, when I was doing that, I time stretched with Logic, and it was I was going, oh God, you know, they really need to do something about that. I think in general, uh, it's great that they now, you know, uh, catch up with all the live functions or elastic audio. I mean, we've seen yeah. it in all the other programs. Oh, it was very necessary, absolutely necessary. I agree. It's necessary because I've seen a couple of DJ producers uh, move over to live just because of of those features and they've been using uh, live and logic side by side and they gradually moving over to ableton so i think it's a pretty clever move from logic uh, from apple to finally put that into logic but i think they really need to do their homework and you know and, and get some of the the quality of those stuff they already have in there up to date i mean how old is the time factory 
Berry. <laughs> Berry. <laughs> Yes, and that's I, I remember using. I remember actually using Akai time stretch over it, um, in, you know, back in the day. So that's how old it is. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I think, uh, but they haven't. Um, they've upgraded that pitch machine a few times, though, haven't they? Yeah, it doesn't really kind of. Yeah, a bit. There's a version three and a version four and a version five of it, isn't there? And then there's a one that does drums, vocals, speech, and something yeah, 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 yeah. different. So they've sort of upgraded it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, my favourite time stretch is the Sony one in Soundforge. Yeah, Sony time stretch is pretty good. Ah, well, that's very interesting, Hans. Are you um, are, are you able to stick around a little longer, or have you got to shoot now? Or I've got to shoot more or less. I think um, my my conclusion on the Logic Nine update is basically that for a new user. I mean, it's a great value for money. Yeah. Let's face it. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, you get everything. If you're prepared to say, okay, I mean, for some stuff, there might be something out there that delivers in a better quality. But for now, you know, it's... Yeah, I mean, that's, the, that's the kind of conclusion we came to when we discussed it. But I think there's loads of users. There's loads of stuff in there for the pro user that really want those additional... I mean, I don't think it's worth the upgrade, but it's sort of worth having you know that that session management stuff is something that i pay for you know okay and if i, I figured out that there's now more than 128 steps on the mixer oh. ah which is something uh, you're all i think it's <laughs> you're always looking for, for. <laughs> <laughs> i'm and so I think glad now 50, with the, i think they now we move from seven to eight bit hooray <laughs> yay well Hans thank you very much for your insight there we look forward to um, checking that out over on musotalk.de uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you as ever and uh, we will be in communication directly absolutely and uh, yeah tonight we'll be, I'll be out uh, shortly to go to the Singer Kali bar here in Berlin and we're going to have a little gathering of Musotalk watchers and fans and we get together and we have the uh, the um, new Dupfer Dark Energy ah, I reviewed that weeks ago yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i beat you on something at least <laughs> but at least you know uh, people will be able to have hands on you know and take a great look well it. um so if you're out tonight and you've been listening live um go and check it out obviously uh if you listen to this tomorrow when it's on the podcast uh, on itunes this will be of little use but absolutely <laughs> you can pro you can plug the next one all right hans thank you very much been a great pleasure talking to you musotalk.de go check it out bye bye Rich, I believe you, uh, you've also had a, quite a, uh, a, an interesting and gear-filled week, if I remember uh, what you were saying before we went on air. Well, a few weeks, yeah. A few um, weeks. I did install, uh, on the software side, I installed Logic 9. Ah, um, right, okay. Didn't get anywhere near as deeply into it as Hans did, though. That was fantastic. Outstanding overview. Um, but uh, it all seems to work. <laughs> I, I really want to and, try and get it. Yeah, I want to get and, it. And uh, Main Stage Two looks really cool to me, uh, but it does look like an actual. In fact, I dare say that for my own personal druthers, the improvements to Main Stage outweigh the improvements to the Logic uh, software itself uh, in terms of the value of the paid upgrade. That, okay. That's really where the money uh, is best spent to me. Okay, but but anyway. Uh, I've been on sort of a hardware quest since the uh, since I've been to the islands because you know with each one of these things you do you learn stuff and you hear stuff and you go ooh that's good so um, I may have mentioned on the last podcast I did that we got a Prophet 08 yeah uh, 
keyboard and it's just luscious and wonderful and we actually had it uh signed by dave Smith oh you got himself. it signed brilliant i'm glad to hear it and uh pictures on the facebook page if uh, anybody wants to go all right so uh, Steve's signature hiltonius you need to look for for that yeah brilliant yeah, i believe so and uh so then I got on an input path quest because the uh, API equipment that I had installed in the islands just sounded really good to me. And uh, I'm always looking for another good way to get to make Mr. Rogers' guitar sound great on DI. And mm. so uh, I have an API 500 series rack there with way more EQs than I needed. So I purchased a couple of API 512C inputs, put them in the 500 rack, and they sound great. And then I got on a quest to use our vintage 1971 Rupert Neve-designed Melbourne console as an input path. And uh, in pursuit of that, I've just received a radial DI that I'm going to hook up to it, and uh, we'll be using that as well. Uh-huh. And then along the way, I, was, I actually went shopping uh, for input paths in New York City and went around to various pro audio dealers. I went up to visit my friend at solid, uh, solid state logic and I went over to another pro audio shop and saw a whole lot of different things. And, uh, what I've ended up buying was a UA LA 610 signature edition, which is a wonderful tube input path based in an original bill Putnam designed console from, I guess, universal in uh, Chicago. And then uh, has behind it their newest version of the LA-2A compressor circuit. Right. Oh, that sounds and, lovely. Uh, and it's it does sound lovely. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it does. We kept it. It really, it's great. And then I also had the opportunity to try out a bunch of the Chandler Germanium gear recently. And it is also wonderful um, and incredibly versatile. I, it, it's a compressor with nine knobs on it. Wow, what do you need those for? Well, that's what you start turning them to find out. <laughs> uh, most, you know, a number of them are familiar, like attack and release and ratio and things like that. But uh, a few of them do other things, like the whole output section is run by this germanium transistor circuit. Actually, there's a number of different kinds of transistor combinations you can get on one of those knobs on a click stop. And then there's at least two controls on the output. One of them is sort of gain i think it's called drive and the other one is called feedback and this it's very tweaky for people who really want to tweak around in a compressor and it sounds great you know in a lot of its ways it, it really sounds great it all the chandler stuff all sounds a lot like the vintage neve stuff i already have when i set it up the way it sounded best to me so um i didn't end up keeping the chandler stuff but would recommend it highly to anybody who doesn't have a room full of vintage neve stuff cool sounds and like you've had a kind of gear fest yeah, I have. I've been, you know, trying to make our studio cooler and well, uh, sold a piece. And well, okay. what I forgot to mention is I also went up to Telefunken. I should tell the story. Oh, uh, in, cool. it, it turns out Telefunken is in Connecticut. Who knew? And uh, we have a vintage U48 microphone, serial number 95, that uh, was in need of a little TLC. And I brought it up to Telefunken. And boy, did we get the royal treatment from those guys. It was unbelievable. I mean, they dropped everything to work on our mic. I never expected they'd do it while I wait, but I ended up spending the day there, and it was fascinating. Really cool. They've got all kinds of great, cool vintage gear there, in addition to the fact they make all these amazing microphones right there on the premises. Oh, brilliant. 
Yeah, it was a great little learning trip. Factory visits always always go on. It always puts things into perspective, I find. Because one always has this impression of names that, you know, brands that uh, you go and you're expecting to see a kind of, you know, a Yamaha or a Roland corporate headquarters with sort of its own car park and, you know, what have you and quite often it's like a couple of guys in a garage <laughs> or whatever or the sort of the equivalent I mean, i'm sure it's not like a telephone can but i think it kind of you know it really does help put things in perspective a little bit and it's always nice to nice it to does see. it does these guys are in a ten thousand square foot space it's wow huge. and uh they have like vintage neve consoles in the back they've got just amazing stuff throughout and uh went so far above and beyond the call to make our microphone magnificent i i can't say enough about how great they were oh that's great well big shout out to the telefunken posse well i must have i must say um a couple of things changed for me uh, i recorded the uh jordan rudess piece on this little go mic by samson little tiny usb thing just plug in i kind of clipped it to a clothes a clothes dryer in my bedroom and just sat there with my laptop and a pair of headphones on and i was really pleased with the results of that it needs a pop shield it's about 50 bucks i'm going to do a review of it in the next uh, week or so um that's and i was that was a kind of nice find because it's the sort of thing you can just chuck in your bag and it means that if any interviews come up or anything all i need is a pair of ear buds and one of those and i've got a really good path to audio you know it, it, relatively speaking nothing like what you're talking about but it it kind of it fits in my pocket that's pretty cool i could have done with something like that on sunday i, I can recommend it rich uh, mark it's good it's got lots of gain as well so you can really crank it up and get really good um you know confidence monitoring and all of that kind of thing works very nicely and the other thing i've been doing is i also started editing the podcast in logic uh, I managed to figure out that there's uh, a shuffle mode, which is shuffle left. So every time you just kind of select something, hit it, it pulls everything back. It's a little bit fiddly, but it's uh, it means I can use the built-in plugins. I know, um, you know, previously I used the uh, Sony uh, Vegas software, but I found for some reason... Um, parallels on my mac just doesn't work and it just sits there and kind of doesn't you know i have to wait like 20 minutes for it to kind of stop being frozen i just got a bit sick of it and with working in logic i could just go straight and the only downside is obviously i have to convert this hour-long plus file back into aiff and uh and manipulate so i've got like a gig gig plus file to to work with which is a bit why of a do you have to convert it back to aiff because i only record in mp3 anyway i record high oh, quality, I see. but, but right, logic okay. won't work with native file formats which is a bit annoying and if they could fix that i'd be very pleased so well you, well, you can play them but you can't edit them can you yeah that's right. That would be really cool. But that, those are the two big changes in my setup. Uh, but the Samsung Go mic is great. I mean, obviously, uh, I'm still using uh, the Rode Procaster, which is the dynamic mic that looks a bit like an RE20, which I just, I just really like the sound of it, so I'm going to stick with that. But um, those are my changes. But I suppose um, that kind of brings us fairly near to the end of the show, which uh, has, been, uh, has been a blast. It's really good to be back. I'm feeling like I'm, I'm replete looking forward to next week's show as well so um thank you ever so much for joining us thank you all the guys in the chat room guys and girls if there are any girls there not always a lot of girls into the tech talk but we should pray try talking and about some girls into tech talk actually yeah did you get your tara bush box set yet i have yeah i haven't opened it yet no nor have i did it have millions and millions of really interesting looking stamps on it um i haven't even got that far i just noticed it and i haven't really because i've been away it arrived and i thought oh i must open that and i didn't get a chance to open it but i think uh, it was a bit delayed and now now they're in the country but no, i've I um i made a little movie of me hanging mine on a picture hook on the wall in my studio <laughs> brilliant <laughs> like complete in its box and all. in the box it arrived in with the stamps 
And I, because I noticed that somebody else on there said that they bought someone for one for Christmas present. And they said it'll be opened at Christmas when I give it to the person for their Christmas present. I want to be the last person to open. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, maybe we can arrange that. Or one. All right. Well, thanks ever so much. I mean, obviously, thanks to our guest, uh, non-Eric, who had to shoot off a little bit early. Remember, if you're in Berlin tonight and uh, head over to Museo Talk, there's details of the party that he's hosting somewhere in deepest, darkest Berlin. And also, thank you very much to Rich Hilton for joining us this week. A pleasure as always. And telling us all about your adventures in equipment and also your contributions, uh, always welcome. Uh, Rich can be found at myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. And also uh, thanks to Mark Tinley, who uh, managed to sidestep the shopping delivery. And it's hardly noticed that it was there, Mark. I hope you haven't left anything out of the freezer that needs to go in just to get back to us. Oh, God, so do I. <laughs> he did say that's the chilled lot there and this is the rest of it. Some of the rest of it might have been frozen, but hopefully not. Because <laughs> it won't be anymore. Oh, uh, well, uh, you'll have to eat it tonight, then. Yeah. So, Good fun, as always, though. Yeah, enjoyed it. Thank these. you, Mark. Uh, Mark Tinley, aspergineering.com. Links are in the show notes. Uh, that was Sonic Talk number 144. Thanks to everybody in the chat room, as ever. And thanks also to our show sponsors, roland.co.uk, with the Juno DI. Go get one and tell them we sent you. And also loopmasters.com. Remember, email free stuff at sonicstate.com and get involved. That's it. It's a wrap. Thanks very much.